What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's. We are three Minotaurs with a knack for sorcery with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I still don't believe in fairy tales about energies or chakras. I'm Keith Baker, and I find the multiverse very confusing. And I'm Austin Terry, and I'm only here to talk about the Avatar 2 trailer. Well, guys, that's actually a good question because that trailer was exclusive to theater. So maybe to preface our review, did we care at all while watching that trailer? I missed it. I went to the bathroom. Oh, you did? (laughs) Gosh, you missed Sam Worthington back in the role of a lifetime, Keith. Was Sigourney Weaver there, too? They're all blue. It's hard to tell. (laughs) (laughs) At one point, they're riding a seahorse. If that interests you at all, Keith. There's a seahorse on that. What's the the planet called? Like uh, like, uh, Pandora? Nailed it, Keith. I guess you're a bigger fan than you're letting on. Uh, I've maybe seen it twice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, everybody out there, enjoy our Avatar 2 review in December, I guess. But on today's show, we are, of course, discussing the newest entry to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Before we get to that, I want to know, guys, when is someone going to get Benedict Cumberbatch, a dialect coach that actually knows what American accents sound like? I just want to know what region of the country he's going for, because he's supposed to be New York, but it doesn't sound like a New York accent. It does it, not. It doesn't sound like a Midwest accent. doesn't sound like an East Coast accent. I think we need to narrow down the region before we find a new voice coach. It's like a guy they would hire to like read like a Stephen King book for like an audio book or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he sounds like a fake person, kind of. I guess we like speculated, but apparently he did like reference Hugh Laurie's accent in House. And I'm like, yeah, that's not good either. <laughs> Why'd you pick that? <laughs> he just went for the one doctor on TV that he yeah. could think of. <laughs> it's the only doctor in American show that he could think of. Yeah. <laughs> well, his accent aside, we still love Benedict Cumberbatch, of course. And Doctor Strange burst onto the scene in 2016 as part of the MCU's Phase 3 slate of movies. At the time, it was praised for its new visual styling that became a staple for films and series going forward. Director and co-writer Scott Derrickson was going to come back for the sequel. He made plans to tell a story with more horror elements and Elizabeth Olsen's Wanda Maximoff returning. He left in early 2020 due to creative differences, and very quickly the legendary Sam Raimi was brought aboard to replace him, making his grand return to Marvel after his Spider-Man trilogy ended in 2007. Loki writer and creator Michael Waldron was also brought on to craft the story, so after many delays and reworkings, we have both a sequel to the original Doctor Strange and a follow-up to last year's WandaVision. So, let's get into it. Austin and Keith, let me know what you thought of the first Doctor Strange, and give me your non-spoiler thoughts on the sequel, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. The first Doctor Strange, I found it very forgettable. I thought the visuals were cool, but nothing else about that movie really worked for me. And just getting right into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I think it's good, not great. Uh, Straight up, I thought the first half of this movie sucked. I was very uninvested and was really worried we were in for a stinker. I do think it picks up steam in the second half and gets a bit more interesting. Um, I think the grand scope of the MCU really hurts this one because they're trying to make it feel so important, but we still don't have a great understanding of how the multiverse is going to play into this MCU phase five. So I didn't really care about like the fate of the multiverse is at stake. Like they just, that's like the opening line of the movie and we have no setup to our new characters or anything. So just being thrust back into this world, I didn't find very interesting. To move to some positive things, though, I did really dig the horror aspects that Sam Raimi brought to the movie. Um, It's a lot more violent than I was expecting, and I think it has its very own distinct style to set it apart from the rest of the MCU. um, I just wish they had found a way to get me more invested at the beginning of the film. Yeah, for me, the first Doctor Strange was good. Um, Like Austin said, I liked the visuals of it. I even liked the origin story. Um, I definitely liked the first half of that movie more than the second half. Going into this new one, 
Man, it was a lot different than what I expected. Um, I don't think it's a, too much of a spoiler to say that this is very much an extension to WandaVision, more, more so than I thought it was going to be. Um, so that was really surprising. There was definitely some things I was wanting from this movie that I did not get that we'll get into later. As far as the, the bigger picture of the MCU, I think you nailed it, Austin. I don't, I don't know where, where they were really trying to go with this. I mean, it was more problem-driven. Like uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is more specific to Wanda and Doctor Strange and didn't really progress the MCU too much, in my opinion. Um, but overall, it was entertaining, but I just didn't leave it feeling like it was too impactful. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I think everything they've done with the multiverse up until this movie has been kind of a half measure. Like you think about what if, and it's like that whole thing was to be a multiverse, but really it just felt like episodic TV that took place in different multiverses, and that was cool. And then Loki, they keep talking about it, and then at the end, it's like they kill Jonathan Major's character, and they're like, oh no, the multiverse is going to be unleashed. But it's like, oh, well, it, it happened at the very end, so I, I don't know what that means. And then like in No Way Home, it's like, yeah, the multiverse was a big part of that, but really it was only a big part in order to bring in, you know, our, pe- our previous Spider-Mans and their villains. I mean, that, that was the whole point of doing it. So this is like our first main like multiverse outing. And kind of like you said, Austin, like whenever they're talking about like incursion events and just like all these like crazy terms and like, oh no, the multiverse is at stake. Like you said, it is kind of like, man, I wish we would have gotten a little bit more setup as crazy as that sounds because we've seen it so many times, but it's just like, it was never the focus. So now that it is, it's like, well, I I still wish I understood it more. Uh, So hopefully going forward, they'll find a way to kind of expand further. To go into the movie itself, uh, walking out, uh, Keith and I were talking about it a little bit, and I was like, I guess I was kind of with Austin. I was like, good, not great. After sleeping on it, though, I, I have to say, I think I'm coming away even more positive. I, I really did enjoy this movie. I found it extremely entertaining. I love the pacing of it. It's like just a little over two hours, including credits, and the movie moves. Like It just was like, I, I never felt like I, I could look away. I was never checking the time. I never like went to the restroom or like wanted to or anything like that. I just was like, wow, this is really just barreling through, giving us action, giving us horror, giving us comedy. I mean, without question, I think the best part of the movie is Sam Raimi. I was nervous because I'm a big fan of his, but I was like, is he going to be able to have his own style while, you know, being a part of the MCU? Because there's been problems with directors in the past not being able to do that. And I thought they just let him roll with it. Uh, This feels like a Sam Raimi movie. And I love Sam Raimi. So I love that. I love the style. I love the way it looks. I love the colors. I love the contrast. The first Doctor Strange is kind of a bland looking movie except for like the wacky mirror dimension, the way things are falling in like that, like kind of like the trippy elements, but the plot, kind of the characters and everything else about that movie is kind of bland and forgettable. It's definitely not a favorite of mine. So seeing this one, I mean, yeah, it was a step up for me. I definitely have some problems. I think the biggest one is probably, I I really enjoyed the story. Like I liked seeing where the characters go at the beginning and where they're at by the end, but how they got there was definitely messy. Like the actual like, structure of the story, I guess I would say, was kind of all over the place, uh, which led to kind of this, like, I don't know, interesting feeling. Not everything works. So I definitely didn't love everything about it. It's definitely not close to perfect, but I had a blast watching it. Yeah, I think my biggest issue with the movie is the actual multiverse part of the title, because we do get the multiverse here, but so far it's kind of been used as a gimmick. And the MCU has been so good at everything being connected and playing a part and like something happens. It's like, oh, I I know what movie that came from. And I, I've honestly been kind of shocked that the end of Loki hasn't played a role in Spider-Man or this Doctor Strange movie. I thought for sure, with this being called the Multiverse of Madness, somehow Loki would play a role here, and it, it really didn't. And for this movie like being set up to be like, we are going to do the multiverse in this film and jump around, 
I was actually disappointed with like the lack of places we went to because I don't think this is a spoiler, but you really only go to two universes and you only really spend time in one of them. So I found that pretty disappointing as well. So overall, I think just my expectations were not met coming into this one. Yeah, I was actually expecting a lot more from Loki as well, too, since they kind of covered more of the multiverse or time rules and all that. It seems like there's so many damn rules now that's going on in the Marvel Universe. It's just, it's confusing the hell out of me because I don't remember what they're called in, in, in the Loki show, like the, the timekeepers or whatever. So how are they playing a role in all of this? When did, it, when did they come in? That's what I'm wondering. That's been a big issue for me too. Like Sylvie killing He Who Remains at the end of Loki was like this big thing that like we watched like the multiverse break apart basically when she did that. But then since then, we've gotten Spider-Man No Way Home. We've gotten this. And after watching both those movies, I'm like, so what did... What happened? Yeah. <laughs> what did her doing, like, did her killing him make these movies possible? Because if so, that's cool. It's just that I wish we would have an answer to that by now. I know we're getting a Loki season two, but I thought these, like, multiverse movies in between would kind of address that element. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with both of you guys. That, that's very confusing. And to your point, too, Matt, I, I also found the story extremely messy. I think that's a great way to put it, and especially in the intro, because when this movie opened, I was genuinely concerned that our our studio had made a mistake and had started the movie like in the beginning so, or <laughs> in the middle of the movie somehow, because I was like, wow, we are right into this. I don't know who this new character is. Like, I, I felt very confused. I'm not saying I need like the first half of the movie to be set up, but I think we'd at least need some setup for where we're going in the movie, and we didn't get any of that in the intro. So I started out very confused, very lost, and it did take me a while to actually get into the film. Yeah, I'm with you, Austin. I'd, I would just want a little bit more explanation, maybe just a little 10-minute uh, info clip. I don't need a whole 45-minute intro. And with the other characters, like even with Doctor Strange, I mean, the movie starts, and not to spoil it, but whenever we catch up with him, it, we don't really catch up with him, if that makes sense. It, it, we don't really know kind of where he's at, how he's been feeling over, you know, since his last appearances and even the original movie and with like No Way Home more recently. Um, after, as the movie went on, I did start to appreciate that because we were able, they, they kind of let us, the audience, fill in the gaps in our mind and then they kind of used visual storytelling and like a couple like limited character interactions to kind of like, oh, okay, so that's how he's been feeling since like recent events. Like that's how he's been doing. Okay, that's kind of cool. But yeah, in the beginning, it's weird because like the movie just starts and it's like, Oh, here's Stephen Strange. He's just going about his daily routine. And it's like, well, I mean, yeah, there's like no setup. It just the movie just starts. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I was kind of excited for that too going into it because we haven't really had like one on one time with Doctor Strange since his first movie. He's been a side character and played other roles in Endgame. And I was really interested to hear like how he was doing after being the guy that decided to make the five year sacrifice in Endgame. And we got a little bit of it, but it was like a very quick throwaway conversation. I Kind of wanted to know like where his head was at after everything he's been through, too. Well, you know what? I have some spoiler thoughts on that. There's one throwaway line later in the movie that kind of made me laugh. I was like, okay, that's how you're explaining that away. So maybe this is the perfect time to drop the spoiler warning. So, uh, guys, before we uh, move on to that, let's just give one final non-spoiler recommendation. Sounds like we have some varying thoughts and feelings on this movie, but would you at least recommend people go out and see this? Do you think you know most people will get something and enjoy it? I think I would say wait till Disney+. Plus. Mm, interesting. Yeah, you can either wait to see it on Disney Plus or go out and see it in theaters. They're still going to get some cool, trippy visuals like from the last one. Um, maybe not as much, but it, it's a fun movie either way. Uh, for me, I think it's a theater recommendation. Uh, maybe for like the story and stuff, like just like removing all of like the you know visuals and the style and all that. I think it's kind of a 
you know, wait for streaming type of thing. But I had a great time seeing it in IMAX and just seeing all the colors, seeing all the depth, just seeing this crazy journey. So uh, it definitely was a worthwhile theater experience for me. But with that, if you have not seen Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, this is your final warning. We are about to get into spoiler territory. So go check out the movie, then come on back for the spoiler talk. We'll be waiting for you. All right, welcome to Spoiler Territory, everybody. As usual, Austin and Keith start us off here with cast and crew talk. All right, so Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is, of course, directed by Mr. Sam Raimi, who you may know from his horror works in the Evil Dead franchise, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy, which, you know, that third one could be considered a horror piece, uh, and Drag Me to Hell. It's also written by Michael Waldron, who you may know from Community, Rick and Morty, Heels, and of course, Loki for Disney+. And our score is composed by the legendary Danny Elfman, who is a singer-songwriter and composer known for his collaborations with Tim Burton and Sam Raimi. All right, and going into our cast, we have Benedict Cumberbatch as Dr. Stephen Strange, Elizabeth Olsen returning as Wanda Maximoff, the Scarlet Witch, Benedict Wong as Wong, Rachel McAdams as Christine Palmer, Chiwetel Ejiofor as Mordo, Sochi Gomez as America Chavez, Julian Hillard and Jet Klein as Billy and Tommy Maximoff, Haley Atwell as Captain Carter, after voicing the character in What If, Lashana Lynch as Maria Rambo, reprising her role from Captain Marvel, Anson Mount, my guy from Hell on Wheels, Hell yeah. as Black Bolt, returning from Marvel's ABC TV series Inhumans, and we got Charlize Theron as Clea in the mid credit scene, yeah. <laughs> Very weird scene. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm here. So Charlize is here. <laughs> and Oof. Sam Raimi's favorite, Bruce Campbell, as the Pizza Papa. And we got The Office's own John Krasinski as Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic. After being the subject of internet fan casting for years. And we got Patrick Stewart returning as Charles Xavier, Professor X, reprising his role from Fox's X-Men film series. All right, guys. There's a long cast and crew there. Any positives, any negatives, what do we got? My highlight and the star of the film has to be Bruce Campbell as the Pizza Papa. (laughs) I mean, the performance here (laughs) was incredible. Uh, Now, I think I got to give it to Sam Raimi. This movie feels so different from anything we've gotten in the MCU. It is very scary at times. There were times where I was jumping in my seat. I did. (laughs) The deaths are brutal. There were times when you had to look away and I was like, Man, I've never seen this level of violence in them to you before. So the fact that he made something different in 27 movies or whatever, I got to give props to him. I guess I'll shout out Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff. I mean, it's really believable that she's wanting this family that she can't have and, and all that. And then her action and, and horror scenes are really scary. And she's really believable as this like creepy witch that you would see probably like in an insidious movie or something like that. They actually made her feel like a witch, which you haven't yeah, really gotten yeah. before, which is really that creepy. Was cool. Yeah, there's a lot here. Uh, I'll probably have to cheat a little bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, if Keith's calling out Elizabeth Olsen, I would have to throw out Benedict Cumberbatch as well. I think he's been a very consistently strong performer in the MCU, and he's able to do a lot with a little, I don't know how to say it. I mean, his character is very level-headed, I feel like. So like when he's trying to emote, uh, it's a bit harder because traditionally that character isn't doing that. So whenever we get moments of that and... He's just very fun to watch. He's kind of like a character that everybody is like telling him he's wrong, but he's like, God, just listen to me. I I know what's going on. I promise. I feel like characters like that are kind of fun to watch. So he was really good. And I mean, come on. 
it's hard to not just call out the Illuminati as a whole. Seeing Haley Atwell in live action after seeing her in What If, so cool. Lashana Lynch, love her. Anson Mount, don't care about him, but Black Bolt looked kind of <laughs> cool. Um, nobody saw Inhumans, but I guess I'm glad he got to do it again. Um, I love Patrick Stewart. I love the X-Men film series, even though I know probably at this point more of those are not just okay. More of those are terrible than the ones that are good, but he's just... He's so good. He's kind of like Tobey Maguire was. He was a big part of my childhood and getting into these types of stories. So seeing him back was awesome. Hated this chair, though. Hated that chair. Chair was, yeah, they were leaning into like the X-Men cartoon for that. And it didn't really translate to live action for me. (laughs) But I got to say, I I got actual chills in the moment where he he repeats his line from X-Men Days of Future Past whenever James McAvoy and him talk. And he says, like, you know, when someone stumbles or loses their way, it doesn't mean they're lost forever. And it's like, oh, yes. (laughs) I was like, hell yeah. And then the last one, sorry, I know I'm just like cheating by saying the entire Illuminati. I was actually surprised at how good of a performance John Krasinski was able to give just with like a few lines of dialogue. It was like a very great. Yeah, it was like a very kind of I know it's like a weird word to use, but like there was a lot of heart. I felt like in his performance, like, you know, even just saying like, hello, Steve. And like, I mean, like, yeah, there was a lot there and uh, it made me I don't know, because this feels like gimmick casting, but at the same time, I don't know, I, I'd like to see him again, like in the Fantastic Four movie, if he's going to kind of carry over and play a different version. But regardless if he does or not, I, I really enjoyed seeing him here. That was kind of the biggest pop, I would say, in our theater, Keith, even bigger than Charles Xavier. I mean, I think people were just so shocked to see, you know, Mr. Fantastic and nonetheless played by John Krasinski. That, I mean, that was a huge moment. Yeah. And I guess the way they set this up in the film, if if they were going to do Fantastic Four again, it would have to be John Krasinski, right? Because it's just alternate versions of yourself. So if there was a Reed Richards in this universe, it would kind of still have to be him. Yeah, yeah. theoretically. I guess the only knock against that potentially is I, I don't see any reality where they have Patrick Stewart come back to the X-Men movie they're working on because I just think that they're going to cast younger people. Um. So I don't know. But for now, I'm with you. I mean, everybody else was kind of like, you know, the same actor or actress. So it would be kind of odd if he didn't come back. So I guess we'll see. And unfortunately, the multiverse rules may not account for contract negotiations. So mm. got to keep that in mind, too. The negotiations were short. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So I'm actually, guys, we do critical reception a lot, but I'm I'm really excited to talk about this because this movie is a little bit more mixed uh, than some other projects we've talked about recently. So let's get into it. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness received generally positive reviews and currently has a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which is pretty good if you ask me. Um, But as crazy as it sounds, that means this ranks 24th out of the 28 MCU films. The only ones ranked lower are Iron Man 2, The Incredible Hulk, Thor the Dark World, and Eternals. So that was definitely really surprising to see. Uh, The site's critical consensus is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness labors under the weight of the sprawling MCU, but Sam Raimi's distinctive direction casts an entertaining spell. Audiences were a little bit more positive. Those polled on CinemaScore gave it a B plus, and those at post-track gave it an 82% score, with 69% saying that they would definitely recommend it. So the positive reviews centered around Raimi's direction. Many called out that the style and visuals give this film an identical vision that distinguishes itself from the rest of the MCU. Uh, also the performances, particularly those of Cumberbatch, Olsen, and Gomez. And finally, the campy horror tone was a surprisingly good fit for this well-established franchise. In the negative reviews, we could find mentioned the screenplay. While most seemed to like the story that was being told, how the movie goes from point A to point B was off at times. At times, reviewers questioned the need to revisit certain characterizations to the point that they were starting to feel stale. Some examples include Juan's trauma grief, Strange's feelings for Christine, 
and America's back and forth of not feeling confident in her powers. All right. Yeah. So uh, any kind of just thoughts that stand out to you with the positive and negatives, just the reviews in general? I mean, were you guys surprised? What kind of sticks out to you? I definitely agree with the negative critique of uh, wanting to revisit certain characterizations. It really felt like the movie constantly wanted to check in and be like, did you get the point? Did you understand what we were trying to make here? And then they kept throwing it in your face. So some of those aspects got very stale for me. Yeah, I think I'm 100% behind Austin on this one. Um, especially with Strangest Feelings for Christine. That kind of got old after a while. Yeah. And him professing his love to her at the end, which is kind of cheesy and corny. And going to her wedding and saying, hey, by the way, I still care for you. I face-palmed like, at that Really, moment. dude? <laughs> I face-palmed there. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> The only one I would disagree with, like, completely is, like, you know, people calling out, like, haven't we seen Wanda's grief enough? I'm like, well, that's kind of the point of this movie. They're kind of recontextualizing it. So I really enjoyed seeing what they did with that. That was kind of powerful to me. It did feel a bit repetitive after we got a whole season dedicated yeah, to it, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, can, I can understand that. Uh, it worked for me. Um, Strange's stuff with Christine, it's kind of like a weird back and forth because I just absolutely hated how they used Rachel McAdams in the first movie. Like... I love Rachel McAdams, but after that first one, I was like, why was she even in this? Like, this character is given the epitome of nothing to do. Uh, so I liked that they kind of had the alternate version of her join them for the adventure. And even though I was kind of like, okay, I'm kind of tired of like the whole strange professing his love for her, because we also saw that in the What If episode. But I got to say, I got, I got some of the feels whenever he was like, I love you in every universe. I was like, okay, all right, Stephen, we get it. Um, but yeah, and then all the positives I agree with. I mean, the performances were great. Sam Raimi, just everything he had to do with and like his touch on this movie was awesome. Um, and then the horror vibe. I can't wait to talk about that more. So I, that, that worked for me so well. Just like the combination of like the violence, the campiness, and the actual scary moments. I mean, really just was like A plus for me. Seems like he should have directed that shitty X-Men horror movie they tried to do a few years ago. Oh, yeah. The New Mutants. Mm. Mm. They made that and then the MCU is like... Okay, we're going to buy Fox and throw that away. <laughs> they also were like, we're going to put this on Hulu, not on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> That's what we do with everything that we hate. <laughs> all right, guys. So with that, it's time to go a little bit deeper. So let's get into our roundtable discussion and break this all down. I figured it might be a good place to start with just the character of Stephen Strange. Uh, so I kind of already alluded to it a little bit, but I feel like, you know, Strange, when he was introduced... For me, at least, and maybe I'm in the minority, but he was one of the more bland heroes in the MCU. It kind of felt like they just took a lot of elements of Tony Stark, some of the elements from Doctor Strange's comics, and told a very familiar story. But I will say by the end of that movie, his journey over the two Avengers movies, his recent appearance in No Way Home, and now here, he's actually one of the more compelling characters to watch for me. I feel like he's given actual hard and interesting choices to make that other heroes and villains aren't in the series. And he tries to stay kind of cool, calm, and collected in the face of these huge multiversal and supernatural threats. So what do you guys make of this character in general, and did you like how he was used in the sequel? I really like how he's kind of evolved throughout the MCU, and he has gone from this like egotistical guy to someone who can like look back and, as he puts, look at things in the scope of the multiverse. I appreciate the tough calculations he has to make. I do think in this one, there wasn't as much like personal struggle with him as there has been in some of our past MCU ones. Like, He's always been the guy that's a little bit more willing to break the rules of the magical side of the MCU to get done what needs to be done. And he does do that in this one, but I feel like there wasn't as much internal conflict there with him as there has been in the past. Yeah, there really wasn't like a whole lot of like personal, personal stuff with him. Like 
I was kind of wondering because I did I did start to watch the first Doctor Strange uh, the night before we saw it. I didn't finish it, but um, it just kind of reminded me of like where he came from and all that from you know being a doctor and having the accident with his hands and all that. So I thought they were going to kind of dive into that more again. Um, but to answer your question, Matthew, yeah, I think like he's got like the biggest stakes almost out of any character because he has the most power. Like he has the most uh, influence over all these universes. Like sure, Spider Man has his webs. When Tony was alive, he had his Iron Man suit. They all, all the other guys have their abilities, but he's pretty much the only one who is able to go through different universes, and all of their shit doesn't even matter unless he can, unless he can keep the the worlds alive. So I like the stuff he has to shoulder too, because other than Vision, who's really not around anymore, which where was White Vision in this movie? But uh, yeah. yeah, they were kind of the only two that could look further ahead or like vision could make like the grand calculations of the universe if he had to and Stephen strange can look through time and stuff like that so i like the stuff that he has to shoulder with having to really take a step back and look at everything in the context of time and now with this added element to the multiverse he has to look at things in the scope of the entire universe and other universes too yeah i like the way you put that like he he shoulders a lot and you know michael stuhlbarg who was in the first doctor strange he shows back up in this just for a quick scene at the wedding and i know you said at the beginning austin like uh, you kind of wish that they would have kind of explored what's how Strange was feeling about the decisions he's made and how he's just been coping and dealing since Avengers Endgame. And I think I agree. I think they could have leaned into it a little bit more. But I did kind of like the element to set up for Strange in this, like give us context for how he kind of deals with these like crazy world ending stakes. It's like, yeah, you know, I made the call I had to, which, of course, ties back into him being a surgeon. It's like, you know, that's how they do things. It's like, yeah, you know, there is stakes, like somebody died or whatever, but I made the right call. And then Michael Stuhlbarg is just like, did you? And even as something simple as that, it does make you kind of go, and you can even see Strange go, yeah, I mean, was like the one in 14 million or whatever it was shot, like the one reality we saw where Tony Stark has to sacrifice himself to defeat Thanos and all that, was there really no other way? Is there something I could have done? And and see, the fact that that was there at the beginning of the film, I thought they were setting up that we were going to learn more about what he saw when he was looking through that. And maybe there was other options that he didn't go for. I thought we were headed that way in this movie. Right. Yeah. And ultimately, what it leads to is the end of the movie because at the very opening we see a version of Doctor Strange be willing to kill America Chavez in order to stop the Scarlet Witch and what kind of reflecting on the events of Avengers Endgame and like is there anything else I could have done to save more people and Tony Stark included is he's kind of put in an impossible situation again where it's like I have to take America's power because I can control it and that's the only way to stop Wanda. And Wong even tells him, like, you have to do it. There's no other way. I don't want to do it, but you have to. She can't control her powers. So what do we do here? And I, I feel like Strange being like, no, like, that isn't the only way. I can get through to America. I can tell her, look, I know it doesn't feel like you control your powers, but I think if you really think about it and reflect on it, you, you've done this a lot, like you said, Keith, but you, you give it a shot. So I agree. It wasn't what I expected. Maybe we needed more of it. But I did kind of like the element of Strange reflecting on Avengers Endgame and that choice he made, willing to sacrifice Tony Stark. And then here we see him. He's put in the same situation. He has to kill this kid. And he's like, no, I will. I don't care if this is the only way. I will find another way. And I kind of enjoyed that. You mentioned Tony a lot there. And I think it's interesting to compare Tony and Stephen Strange because I thought the MCU did a better job with Tony after the first Avengers, with him dealing with the fact that he went into a space portal, saw all these Chitauri or whatever coming, and then, you know, fell back to Earth. And then 
that kind of is detrimental to his psyche in the later times that we see Tony. And so I, I like that there's a human element there of him dealing with all the stuff he's seeing. I wanted more of that from Strange in this movie, and we ultimately didn't really get that. That's fair. Mm. Yeah. What did you think about the question of happiness in this film as it relates to both Wong and Stephen Strange? Yeah, I mean, it was a common theme throughout the whole movie. I liked how Wong put it at the end of the movie. He's like, just be, just be thankful for the one you're in because they're all not going to be perfect. <laughs> That's what I kind of got out of it. There's an infinite number of us that are happier in other places and an equal number of infinite people out there that are worse off than we are. So we just have to kind of take what we have. Yeah, there, there, was, there was levels to that because the whole element of, you know, Christine as this character who is because we, we see like, you know, the Christine that we're familiar with in the opening of this movie at the wedding. Like that's the same version from the first movie, obviously. And like she is truly happy. And it's like, OK. And she's asking Stephen if he is. And he's a character. It's kind of like what you said, Austin. I, I, I would agree that Iron Man 3 did it better. Like they gave Tony PTSD, like actual PTSD for what he was going through after Avengers. And then that leads to him wanting to put a suit of armor around the world in Avengers Age of Ultron. <laughs> so like his PTSD manifests itself into this egotistical and arrogant way to solve the world's problems, which creates Ultron, which ends up killing even more people. So it's this really fucked up thing. The human element that you were talking about with that, this is what it is. It's this whole element of being happy. And Steven is a character that, is he depressed? I don't know. The movie didn't go into it too much, but he's, he's kind of, I don't know. He's not faking it, but he's, I think, being okay with being oblivious that he he knows he's not happy but he'll just put on a front because he has all these responsibilities um and then wanda is a character that takes it even further kind of like you alluded to keith she's a character that is not happy at all and she's not pretending to be otherwise but kind of the whole message of the movie about like are you happy it's okay to not be and if you are you know you know relish in that she's a character that's like i'm not happy i'm gonna do whatever it takes kill as many people as i have to to be happy to go to another universe where I am happy, and then that will fix all my problems. Obviously, she, she doesn't realize at the time that it won't fix her problems, but that's the length she's willing to go. So it was interesting to see kind of Wanda and Steven kind of juggle with that in obviously very different ways. So let's get into Wanda a little bit more, because when we last saw her in WandaVision, you know, she did adopt her persona as the Scarlet Witch, but then she uses that to stop Agatha. And so when the credits wrapped on WandaVision and we saw her you know, at the cabin and you know, reading and all that, I didn't take it as she was going to become this evil Scarlet Witch. I took it as she was going to adopt the Scarlet Witch and kind of use that in her existing powers. So how did you guys feel? Was she effectively set up to be all of a sudden this evil in this movie? I don't know. I don't think so. To me, it seemed like she, from, and from what I remember, it seemed like she kind of accepted what happened to her in Westfield and all that. She was broken for sure, like very broken. But she didn't seem like she was going to like, go to the dark side from that. She seemed like she kind of accepted it and she was just going to move on and, and use her powers for something else, like you said, Austin. That's how I took it, too. I was so shocked when it's revealed that she is the villain of the movie. I, yeah. I didn't think we were going there at all with this one. Me neither. I thought, I thought the villain, main villain of this movie was going to be the alternate Doctor Strange. Yeah, that's how they set it up in the trailer. Yeah, kind of a fun fake out. It's interesting. It definitely requires, like I said, at first I was shocked. and. Kind of in a good way, kind of in a bad way. Because when she starts killing people, then it's like, oh man, that, that's, a, that's a hard line to toe. I don't know if I can root for that character. But like I said in the beginning, you know, this movie just gets into it. It just starts and there's very little setup. Um, but then as the movie goes on, they keep like introducing elements that kind of colors how you feel about characters earlier in the movie, if that makes sense. So while at first I wasn't on board with the shift, 
as the movie went on and they kind of introduced the Darkhold and what that does, because in the post credit scene for WandaVision, we see her reading the Darkhold and she can hear Billy and Tommy out there. And at the time, we didn't really know what that meant. And it turns out here, Wanda went through everything in Westview and she effectively had to kill her husband again for like the 19th time. And she had to euthanize her children, essentially, even though they're not real in that sense. And then she flies away. And if she had not gotten into the Darkhold, I don't think she would have been a villain because think about everything she just went through. And now she finds out that there's a multiverse out there and there are versions of herself out there that get to be happy with her children. Yeah, I just it, it was kind of a believable jump to me that Wanda would do anything in order to go to those different realities to be with her children. And then the one element that I would also mention, obviously, is it's something in WandaVision that I, I think I would have liked to have been done a bit better. But we do know that Wanda was willing to torture a town of people. She was aware of what she was doing in order to live this life with Vision and her children. She didn't really care what that did to all these other people living there. Uh, and we know that it was very painful. It was literally, it sounded like torture. Uh, so to jump to the next step of knowing that her kids are out there and she can be with them, going from torture to killing people wasn't a huge leap for me. So it ended up working. But yeah, it, it is a leap. Like, I mean, looking in the post credit to here, I mean, she is now a full-fledged villain. I guess just as the movie went on, they kept introducing more about the Darkhold and like how Wanda's feeling. So it ended up kind of like retroactively working for me, but I was surprised in the beginning for sure, which I think was intentional. I mean, it was supposed to be a twist, I guess. That jump from where she was at WandaVision to where she is now, that's something the movie told us, but I don't think they effectively showed us in this one because they tell you, oh, the Darkhold and acts a terrible toll, all that stuff. But we never saw it in the aspect of Wanda's character because I think that's the clunkiest part of the movie it's the first time Strange goes to talk to Wanda. She just takes down the spell barrier and she's like, I'm evil now. I think we needed more of that in this film. Like maybe we needed it to open with her reading the Darkhold and, you know, seeing Tommy and Billy in the multiverse and kind of going crazy or something like that. I think mm -hmm. we needed just a bit more to see her choose to make that jump because she's already made it by the time we see her in this film. Yeah, I can agree with that. Did you think the other multiverse version of Wanda was going to play a larger role at some point in this one? Yeah, I, 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 I that was kind of – I didn't even know if she was uh, a super-powered person at times. And then she kind of like flies near the end. I was like, oh, okay. So, yeah. But they kind of use her to, in a cool way. Once she gets possessed, she just becomes like the fucking Terminator. <laughs> She's like a horror villain murdering everybody covered in blood, watching her run through the sewer, just bursting through doors, chasing after them. I was like, this is awesome. So <laughs> character-wise, not a lot to that other version of Wanda, but definitely some cool action moments. The design of that was awesome. Well, yeah, let's go into it then. What do you guys think of the uh, the horror elements of this? I mean, we, we mentioned it earlier. Like, she looks like a scary ass witch from like a like an insidious type movie, uh, like with the scream and the hair in her face and everything. Watching her crawl out of the mirror like Pennywise did in the first it. <laughs> that was awesome. Out of the refrigerator. Oh. She's like put crawling out like all broken and puts her body back together. My favorite. It, it wasn't a. a a fully scary moment but my favorite like witch element was when she's assaulting the fortress and the first guy that she can see that she can Ugh. the first guy she finds that she can break the way she like kind of slinks onto his like background and like is whispering in his ear i was like oh it's not jumpy scary but you are a very scary person right now yeah she, she just says run yeah run <laughs> <laughs> oh man and then when she snaps uh patrick stewart's neck oh that was, yeah, that was crazy. That was bad. <laughs> <laughs> she cuts Captain Carter in half. 
Yeah. Oh, man. She and her scream, too. She's like this like, shrieking scream, like, <laughs> <"Wah!"> <laughs> <laughs> She's doing everything. It is something they've never addressed with that shield, but the way that thing gets thrown around, you are slicing people in half, and we finally <laughs> yeah. got that confirmation. Just watching the shield come out the other end, just covered in blood. <laughs> what about crushing Anson Mount's head? That was incredible. <laughs> What mouth? And then she, the word I use whenever Keith and I were talking about it yesterday, she just untangles Mr. Fantastic. And then she just like insult to injury. Like he like, she completely untangles him. And then even is like, eh, not enough. And then explodes his head. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about a lot of horror movies on this podcast and we, we always kind of differentiate between like the jump scary stuff and like kind of the atmospheric stuff. And I thought this movie had both. I mean, I already mentioned it. I mean, Keith can attest. I was right next to him. The scene where they're like first getting to like the mountain that's tied to the dark hold, and then like these like our guardians are there, and like it's all dark, and like just one of them pops out. I was like, ah! <laughs> like actually screamed out loud in the theater. I was like, oh shit! Um, <laughs> that one got but, me too. I jumped yeah. out of my seat. Um, but then yeah, it's like the general atmosphere. It's really impressive how Sam Raimi can like introduce us to like this Illuminati like location, like whatever this building is. Like it's a very kind of white it's very clean it's very scientific very until wanda shows up and then it's very red yeah and yeah it's like it's kind of like it seems like this very peaceful calm place and then yeah just the same exact location wanda shows up i mean it's just horrifying i mean like the colors change the smoke the fire like the red of her powers like everything combined together just like the little thing of just covering her in like blood and like the ultron liquid or whatever just like i mean it was yeah everything about like the horror stuff i found it worked. And Sam Raimi didn't shy away from the campy stuff that he's known for, for like Evil Dead, Army of Darkness and all that. Like, I mean, some of it's goofy, but it still kind of worked and somehow fit into like the Doctor Strange, like kind of visual world they've built up. So back when the first one came out in 2016, I remember that was like one of the main things everybody was like raving about. Like, oh, my God, dude, Doctor Strange was so trippy. And that's what all you were hearing everywhere. Um, going into this one, we definitely get some of that like you know, time or not time bending, but like reality bending, like where physics doesn't make any sense anymore. Specifically that one scene where him and uh, America are flying through the different portals for all these like different universes and they're turning into paint and cartoon characters and all that. That's probably one of my top moments. Um, so what did you guys think overall of the the visuals and in, in the, the, the universe bending in this one? I thought it was cool, but it wasn't really enough to stand out to me. And, and mainly because that sequence you talked about, Keith, that's probably five minutes of the movie. And so if, if we had gone to more universes and, you know, there was a lot more of that design for the other worlds we were going to, I think it would stand out more to me. The fact that we only really went to the Illuminati world and then the broken world, I just, it wasn't enough to really stand out in my mind. Yeah. The first movie was really all about the mirror dimension, which we saw most recently in No Way Home, where Doctor Strange and Spider-Man fight in kind of that weird world that is unseen to normal eyes, essentially. Uh, so that movie really was about that and kind of just reality, almost Inception-like, bending in on, in on itself. And if this movie was made like three years ago, we probably would have gotten that because it was closer to the original movie. But I appreciated that. I mean, it's been, hey, it's been six years since that first movie, and we've seen Doctor Strange fight in the mirror dimension. We've seen him do the same types of attacks and moves like in Infinity War, Endgame, No Way Home, which is great. I still love it. But yeah, this movie felt new, it felt different, and it wasn't always as grand. I think, Austin, you called it, I mean, that kind of five-minute sequence where they're just, like, going through all these crazy-looking places was, that was, the like, the trippiest it got, Keith, like, to your original point. And I really enjoyed that, I thought it looked great. Um, 
I guess for me, it's less that I was impressed with the visuals and more that I was impressed with the variety of looks that we kind of got. Like, is the incursion broken world where he meets the evil strange, is that like anything that we haven't seen before? Not necessarily, but I thought it was like super cool to see in the context of the MCU. And just like, it felt very Sam Raimi. They just like, they're walking through New York and you see all the buildings flying above them. But then Doctor Strange's home, the Sanctum, is all alone, just by itself. Just this like one like haunted house looking building covered in smoke and just all that. So like just seeing the variety of looks was super cool. Kind of like the Illuminati world where New York is weirdly like, I don't even know what I would call it. Like there's a lot of like like green and plants somehow. Like I don't really I don't know how to describe how it's different, but it is very different. It's more lively, there's more color. Um so while I do agree with Austin that I certainly thought we would be more getting like uh, a multiple like worlds and new multiverses and all that stuff, I appreciated that they put so much effort and care into making everything look so different from each other. So I think that was probably my favorite part of the visuals. Not like all like the CG and like the trippiness of it, just that Everything looked so distinct and it was fun seeing, you know, characters that we know at this point kind of in completely new environments that we've never seen anybody in anything before. Yeah, I totally agree that the world designs were awesome in this one. Um, I, I think less about the visuals and just more so the fact that this movie has a multiverse in its title and we go to two places. That's that's really what was disappointing to me. Yeah, I get that. It still has like that horror element behind, or it still has that horror theme behind this one more so than the second or the first one, obviously. So, like, like you said, Matthew, when you go to um, uh, the alternate Doctor Strange's house, like in the middle of nowhere, and it's like just black and dark. And once he opens the door to go in, the stairwell just goes yeah. to like nowhere. It just goes to yeah. infinity or up to the clouds. Didn't that look really similar to what Kang's place looked like at the end of Loki? I thought for sure Kang was going to at least have a cameo there. Yeah, I can't remember what that looked like. But you're probably probably spot on, yeah. 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 And tying into the violence whenever he just kicks him out the window and then he gets impaled on spikes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hell yeah. But his um, third eye opens there. So I, I thought more was coming to that. Well, we'll get to the third eye. Yeah. <laughs> that was now speaking of visuals, the third eye was the worst visual. Oh terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like they literally highlighted one of his eyes, hit copy, moved to his forehead and hit paste. <laughs> it, did, it did not look natural at all. <laughs> I guess last thing for me from the visuals before I move on, the final fight where he is a corpse and has like all of the souls as his cape was so cool. Big uh, subversion from the trailer where it makes it seem like that was the villain with all the hands coming out of yeah. him and yeah. he's actually our hero. So pretty cool. Um, and that. that design was awesome. I mean, that kind of ties into like the, what was it? Dream walking element? Because I mean, that was a big part of the movie because I guess I, I agree with you, Austin, that like the multiverse in the title, maybe they could have spent more time with it, but they really lived up to the madness part. It of should it. have like been in the, the dreams of madness. Yeah, something like that. But like watching, you know, the whole point being Wanda has to dream walk into another version of herself to accomplish her goal. And then Strange has to <laughs> dream walk into a corpse of him in another universe <laughs> in order to stop her. I mean, it was just it was kind of a cool element that I was left confused by originally. And I think I'm still confused about how it works, but it was just so fun to watch. So cool. I mean, watching a corpse version of Doctor Strange, give a motivational speech to America Chavez at the end is so goofy, but so like kind of in line with that universe and character that, yeah, it's all it's just all fun visually and the style. It's all great. What did you guys think about the added element that every time you dream in the MCU, you're actually dreaming of another universe? That was I like cool, that. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't know if it's consistent enough or not. Like, is it's like all their dreams? 
like from the past always been that or is it just now like are they just now kind of saying that it does it does beg a lot of questions especially like talking about iron man 3 when tony's having his ptsd nightmares yeah. is that an alternate tony is it that tony it's it kind of weird yeah, it's yeah, it's a great example. Like if we went back through every movie and TV show, I'm sure there's like characters dreaming. Like would it line up? The one that stands out to me, I think it's an Age of Ultron. Uh, I can't remember if Tony's dreaming or it might just be him getting a vision that Scarlet Witch gives him. But like seeing all the other Avengers lying dead, and it's like Thanos is coming. It's like, oh, is this like a universe where they like lost or something? That's kind of cool. Um, yeah. So I don't know if it's consistent at all, but just the idea of it, just the idea of like. Because this is like going to hurt it, Keith. It's kind of like that childhood, like, fascination, like, wonderment. It's like, oh, like, yeah. just thinking about the idea of, like, whenever I go to sleep and dream, it's like, oh, wouldn't that be, like, crazy if that's just, like, another, like, multiverse or, like, version of me somewhere? Just, like, yeah. a very fun aspect. So I, I thought that was cool. I liked Wong's joke, too, about, so I have a dream where I'm running from a clown. It's, <laughs> that's another <laughs> universe. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. America Chavez is a huge character that we haven't really talked too much about yet. Um, introduced in this film, obviously, and I think it continues a trend that I'm actually finding myself really, really liking. It's nothing revolutionary, but it's just it's a, it's a fun idea. And it's pairing these older heroes with a younger, more inexperienced partner. Um, so, yeah, did you guys like her role in the story and kind of the relationship they form? It was kind of giving me vibes of um, Clint and uh, Kate Bishop in the Hawkeye show, kind of like that element. I kind of like the fact that she wasn't overly cocky either, because sometimes when they do that, when they combine a younger, younger, uh, up and coming hero with a uh, a veteran, they're always the younger ones always like really cocky and kind of annoying at times. I like the fact that she was a little bit more insecure and not really didn't didn't really know who she was, but at the same time she was still kind of laid back about it all. I like seeing her kind of find her confidence towards the end of the film. I'm really excited to see the future of this character because I think her powers are really interesting and it's going to be cool to see how her multiverse powers play a role in the future MCU stuff. I really liked her dynamic with Strange, especially because she originally starts out scared of him because all the other strangers she's met have, have kind of gone towards the dark side. And, you know, we just saw at the beginning one try to kill her. So I, I thought her learning to trust Strange was a really cool element of the film. And I think they had a, a pretty cool bond by the time the credits rolled. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, just seeing diametrically opposed characters interact, have different values. They shouldn't get along at all. But watch them kind of begrudgingly form a relationship. I thought it was really sweet seeing kind of that weird futuristic thing where you can view past memories and her getting to witness how he truly does feel. The one that got away, you know, Christine Palmer. I think that is a very real thing that people feel. So I think it was kind of fun to see a superhero experience that and then watching her backstory. Very tragic, you know, with her mother is that just it's just always so tragic in these stories like on accident. You know, she sends her parents into who the hell knows? And like that kind of becomes the basis of her not wanting to control her powers because she's scared of it. So even though maybe they went back to the well too many times, with like, oh, I can't do this. Like it, it had a, like a good foundation with her backstory. I also just love how specific her power is. It's just like she can open portals to multiverses. It's like, well, how the hell are you going to show that on screen? I thought they kind of found an interesting way to do it. Uh, so I really liked their relationship. I thought it was sweet. I liked that they kind of genuinely came to like each other by the end. I'm excited to see more of them in the future. I'm excited to see more of America Chavez in general in the future. I really like Sochi Gomez in this. I, I like that character a lot. Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. 
Doctor Strange has to be so sick of babysitting the MCU children. He just got done with the Spider Gang, which, by the way, where was Ned in this movie? He got powers at the end yeah, of No Way Home. I thought about that. Uh, and now he's uh, babysitting America. So he's just a giant. He's running a daycare for the MCU, essentially. I forgot about Ned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he should have been in Part of me movie. thought that maybe he would show up in that final scene, like learning to be a sorcerer or something. Honestly, Scarlet Witch should have haunted him at the beginning because <laughs> yeah, he doesn't Ned know how to use his powers. Gets killed in this movie. He just runs off. Oh shit! <laughs> Peter, Peter. Peter. Or he, just, he doesn't remember Peter. Spider Man. Spider Man. <laughs> All right, guys, we're about to wrap up here, but we cannot finish without talking about Stephen's third eye that he gets mm. at the end, and we also got to talk about our good old friend from the Fast and Furious franchise, Charlize Theron, coming into the picture. Hell yeah. Um, so let's start with the first one, his third eye. What's going on here? How did he get this thing? I thought he killed the whole dark book, whatever it's called thing. Break it down for me. They do say it enacts a toll, so I'm guessing the third eye is the price he has to pay for using the Darkhold, which is a very specific, like, you use the Darkhold, you get a third eye, because that didn't happen to Wanda, but that's my only theory as to why he has the third eye. Yeah, I just didn't know what the third eye. What's it do? Like, I, I, I don't. Yeah, exactly. The third eye isn't just like a visual thing, right? Like, it, I'm guessing it's like more of like, oh, I have this third eye, which means I'm more powerful or whatever. Maybe I'm darker. So it can't just be like a visual aesthetic. I don't know. Obviously, the the more sinister version of Doctor Strange had it as well, and he was completely corrupted by the Darkhold. I agree with Austin. I think it's just like a visual way. Like, hey, we went through this journey. I was able to stop Wanda. I was able to kind of um you know, work with her and she ended up sacrificing herself, even though I don't think she's dead. Um, but still, he had to rely on the Darkhold in order to dreamwalk to accomplish that goal. So I think it's just a way to show that, hey, even though we quote unquote won at the end of the day, like you're still going to have to pay a price for that decision you made. So I like that element. Um, like, I love that the last shot was just him walking and everything kind of seems like, oh, he's maybe the whole like they, they had just previously in the last scene with Wong talked about, are you happy? We're not alone. So if we're ever down or we need help, we can rely on each other, which I loved. Thought that was great. And then it just cuts like this happy-go-lucky Doctor Strange walking out and going for a little stroll. And then just like uh, the camera work, just like zooming in on him as he's like screaming when the third eye opens. I was like, oh, that was awesome. I can't wait to see what that does. Why the fuck then does the mid credit scene start and it's not a big deal? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what a terrible decision. Like, I was so excited when the movie actually ended. And the mid credit scene is just him walking down the street again with a big scarf and different clothes on. It's like, oh, I'm fine. No big deal. Like, what? <laughs> Why would you do that? I'd be lying if I said I was the, the world's biggest Clea fan from the Marvel comics. <laughs> but after, after a quick Google search, uh, you know, we did, they did spend a lot of time talking about his happiness. And I guess this character in her universe is the Sorcerer Supreme. And at one point in the comics, her and Doctor Strange do get married. So maybe this is going to be a new love interest for Doctor Strange in the future. But it was a terrible scene. I will say that. <laughs> there are elements of it that are interesting, I would say. I, I would say, first, I love Charlize Theron. So the idea of her being the MCU is cool. The, like the little bits that were interesting is like she mentions, oh, what you did almost caused an incursion event, which we know what that means from earlier in the movie. It's like you know, with the dark holes and like multiverses collide and destroy each other. So you're wiping out entire realities. So you almost did that, Stephen. So you're going to help me uh, stop it. It's like, okay. And then she like kind of in a cool way cuts open like a, like whatever she did, like a dimension. And inside you can see the end of Dr. Strange one 
Like that visual that we see, like that colorful, weird world is where he fought Dormammu at the end of the first movie. The Dark Dimension, I think it's called. So for some reason, they're going back to that. So that's the only thing I took away from that scene is they have to go there for some reason. But then he opens his third eye again. He's like, I'm not afraid. And we're like, oh, my God. (laughs) So (laughs) it was really bad. (laughs) All right, guys, let's go ahead and start closing out here. I did want to do a quick phase four rankings. We're not going to rank all of these in order or anything. I just wanted to get kind of a litmus test here. So I'm curious where you guys think this might go when thinking about Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, No Way Home, WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, What If, and Hawkeye. That's all of our phase four projects so far. Do you think this one is near the top, middle, or bottom? What are you guys thinking? Yeah, I'll keep it simple. I will put this above Black Widow and Eternals, and everything else would go above Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness for me. All of the shows. All of them. Yeah, I thought the shows were great. I haven't seen Shang-Chi, so I can't speak too much on that. Uh, I would put Black Widow, Eternals, Falcon Winter Soldier below it, and then everything else would go above it. So maybe I'm the highest on it then, because I would put this above Black Widow, Eternals, Falcon Winter Soldier, What If, and Hawkeye. So I think the only ones above it, I guess that would leave Shang-Chi, No Way Home, WandaVision, and Loki. So yeah, I guess it's more in the middle for me. I guess it makes sense that me and Keith have it towards the bottom since going off of Rotten Tomato scores, it's towards the bottom of the MCU anyways. That is true. That was surprising to see. Um, I feel like I've seen a lot of people actually um, on the internet just say like they don't love what Marvel's doing with Phase 4 because they don't think there's kind of like a cohesive vision. Like whenever we think about like Phase 2 and 3 of the MCU, it was always leading up to Thanos, right? It was always leading up to this big Avengers Infinity War and Endgame thing. And I, I guess I hear what people are saying, but I'm, I'm happy that it's not leading up to something yet. I like that they're kind of taking their time and letting it breathe with the characters. And that's just a testament to how good I think Phase 4 is, because I think I'm the highest out of all of us in this movie. And I still have like f- four or five things <laughs> like above Doctor Strange. Like I really enjoy this movie, but that's just how much I love Shang-Chi, how much I love WandaVision, Loki, that kind of thing. I mean, I think we're in a good time, a more interesting phase, kind of. I think they're doing different and new things. I guess that's kind of what I was getting at. In the opening thoughts of, I feel like the MCU so far up until Phase 4 has done a really good job of making everything feel connected, and it doesn't feel as connected in Phase 4. It all kind of feels, it honestly kind of feels like what DC is doing, where these are all kind of standalone stuff with loose connectivity to each other. I think if this was taking place in Phase 2 or Phase 3, Kang and all the stuff from Loki would have played a lot larger role in this movie than, because we haven't seen any of that, and I'm, I'm shocked because... You know, they were, they did, like you said, Matt, they did a great job of teasing Thanos almost at the end of every project leading up to Endgame. And we haven't seen Kang since Loki. And that has been really surprising to me. Me too. Me too. I would agree. Like that element was, I was curious about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, even though it doesn't maybe feel like it's building up to something, I think it may be. Um, I agree. I I think think it it is. I think, especially with the whole multiverse and and the timekeepers and all that, I think it's all going to meet in the middle one of these days. Yeah, I think Kang will end up being like Jonathan Major's character. Like that is going to be our next Thanos level thing. It's just that we haven't seen them again. So I do think we will get that and that will be fun. It's, it's kind of like with this movie. Like I said, like I was kind of off in the beginning, like, oh my gosh, there's like no setup. Okay, I guess here we go. But then like halfway through the movie, whenever they were giving us more information about the Darkhold and like character motivations, I was like, okay, now I like the beginning more. Like you said, Keith, I think once we get to that next big team up thing, I think we're going to like look back on kind of this early phase four something and go, oh, that was so cool that they kind of had like little like connectivity things to that, but it was kind of their own thing. So now we like the characters more or something. So I think it's going to pay off in the long run. 
Well, Matt, I know you're higher on this than me and Keith are, but do you think by the time we get to the end of the year and we're, you know, doing our look back episode where we look at everything we've talked about, do you think there's a chance that this is viewed as like one of the bigger letdowns of the year? Hmm. Maybe for the general public, but I don't think it will be for me. I think even if I love Thor, Love and Thunder coming out, um, I know there's other Marvel projects, but at this point I can't remember. I know Guardians 3 comes out next year. Uh, maybe it will be. Maybe once we get to the end and see other Marvel stuff, other Marvel series, because they're doing a lot more of that, maybe this will be more disappointing for people. I don't think it will be for me because at the end of the day, no matter how much time passes, this one is always going to have the amazing style it does, and that's never going to go away. And I love Doctor Strange. I love seeing him in a campy horror movie. Love seeing Elizabeth Olsen there too. So yeah, I don't think it's ever going to be a letdown for me. How pissed do you think DC is that Marvel was able to achieve this level of violence with their multiverse project and now they can't do flashpoint <laughs> i think dc's just mad like we were the ones that did violence <laughs> <laughs> now we have nothing <laughs> yeah they have bigger stuff on their plate they're trying to figure out what to do with amber heard and ezra miller right now <laughs> <laughs> ezra miller just can't go anywhere without just beating up and berating people apparently <laughs> and amber heard can never make it to a toilet <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, speaking of all that fun stuff, let's get into even more fun stuff, guys. Our final segment here, of course, is the Arnie's Podcast Awards. We just use this to call out something. It can be positive or it can be negative. Just something that we want to praise um, from the project that we're talking about. So, guys, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, what's getting an award for you? Yeah, I, I love the impact that this movie had on the viewers in the audience in my theater. There were some gaffes. There were some chuckles. There were some people covering their eyes. Uh, the award I will be giving today is the walkout award. And it's going to be going to Black Bolt's death because when his mouth got covered and his head exploded and you saw the whole thing happened, a family in front of me got up and they walked out of the theater <laughs> and they never came back. That's incredible. I love Damn. it. I wish we could tell Sam or me that directly. I bet he would love that. <laughs> I'm going to give this guy the questionable rock climber award. And that goes to mm. Wonk. Was he a good rock climber or not in this? He started climbing and then he kind of messed up a little bit as he was getting rocks thrown at him. He really needs that rope. I think he's a terrible rock climber. Okay, good. I'm glad you answered it. That's what I'm saying questionable. I don't know if he's good. I don't know if he's bad. A great man without question, but... Good guy, though. His rock climbing skills are... They're, they're questionable. I think you're right. I think for me, the word questionable that Keith said really kind of struck a chord because there is another very questionable thing in this movie. And I'm not a parent, but... I have to imagine if my kids were like, Mommy, Daddy, listen to this song we wrote. And they sang that song they did about ice cream. I would walk upstairs. <laughs> because I just, I just witnessed that my children were talentless freaks. <laughs> if it was my movie and my kids sang that song, the next uh, cut in the film would be us pulling up to the parking lot of an adoption agency. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it would be you in your backyard throwing all your uh, ice cream into the trash can. <laughs> I'd be getting America to open a portal and be like, Wanda, you want them? You can Put have them. somewhere else. <laughs> all right. Well, with that, everybody, go enjoy some ice cream. And thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing this with a friend, we really would appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and the Arnie's.media is the website. 
And also, last week, we talked about the new Nick Cage movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Uh, we all had very differing opinions on that one, so if you want to hear our thoughts on Nicolas Cage, be sure to go check that episode out. And lastly, we want to hear from you, so please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What do you think of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? What project do you want to see Sam Raimi tackle next? Spider-Man 4, maybe? I don't know. Ah! Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. I'd never forget. I love you, Spider-Man. Oh.